Okay, so clearly some of those notes I wasn't totally clear on, but next time no, I'm going to be hitting them off. We're not going to be able to sync that up with the real song. I mean, song. obviously, we're not going to really use it, but, um, you know, it's just for my own sense of how well do I know our theme song? Yes. I mean, episode four. Welcome to episode four, Free Advice, by the way. Yes. With Rob Zaleski. And Morgan Beard. And here we are at the at the end of the little song that you just heard, but we sang it to ourselves before we started recording this mm-hmm. time. and. Yeah, I was off on a few notes, but as I was saying to Rob earlier, I'm going to blame whatever goes wrong for me in this episode on the fact that I am experiencing many seasonal allergies. Um, we both got some stuffiness. You're not alone in that. Yeah, yeah. You get clogged sometimes. A lot of people have been saying, um, you know, it's fucking April. I'm not wearing my watch. I don't know what day it is, but it's <laughs> April something or other. Your and- watch that just shows the month. Well... <laughs> <laughs> A very crude watch. It's extremely yeah, it's a piece imprecise. of paper taped onto the face. It says April, you dum dum. Yeah. Um, it's a two week tattoo. It's been, it's been April for twenty two days. Get with the fucking program. Um, no, it has the little. It has a little number for the date. Yeah. Very useful. Um, I would say I look at that almost as much as I look at. Well, what time is it? I met this monk who mm-hmm. had a watch that was just the year, and I was like, Whoa. wow. And he was like, that's all that matters. Whoa. None of that happened. I was going <laughs> to say, imagine. but couldn't you make the argument that like at that point, none, the year doesn't even matter? Like It just said AD and he was a priest. And he was like, yeah, it's just. It's, the only thing that matters is he ain't around no more. Now, do they ever move into a post AD kind of phase where all truth is subjective? Yeah. Whenever the next prophet comes. Oh, yeah. okay. Is he coming? What do you think? Hmm. Probably not. Do you think Nipsey Hussle was that prophet? No, I okay. don't. Cool. Just wanted to clear that up. R.I.P. Nipsey. Yeah. I'm, I wasn't a huge fan of his music, but. I didn't know I a single to. word of his music. Had no idea who he was until he died. Yeah. So I'm not a rap fan. I That's am. all I can say for myself. But. Yeah, you're a rap fan with an opinion. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. It's totally fine. I didn't pay too much attention to him while I was alive. What I've listened to since then, I'm like, uh. Not for me, but I didn't really yeah. like Tupac's music that much. So, mm. uh oh, we're gonna get <laughs> hordes of angry internet commenters. <laughs> okay, this is our first episode that we've recorded since we've gotten a reaction to the ones that we put out. Yeah, we can reveal that to the people, right? Yeah, I was out of town any. for a couple of weeks and back with the program, and very, very excited to, mm-hmm. um, you know, be sitting down to record now with all of this knowledge and feedback just kind of bouncing around my brain and. It feels really good. Rob read some some select words before we got started this afternoon, and it really means so fucking much to hear the positive feedback um, from you guys. And you know, a lot of close friends of mine have reached out and said how great it is to hear me. And um, it's interesting because I had a rough couple weeks while I was traveling and sort of ongoing, um, and so every time I'm in those low moments, you know, that positive feedback is completely invaluable. And I don't think there's ever going to be a time in my life where um, hearing something nice about the way that you affected someone else isn't going to ever fall on deaf ears for me. It just fills me up. Do you have this um, fear when something good happens and you're reveling in the feedback of like, uh-oh, getting too attached to this right now 
means that it's going to suck worse. Like when it's gone. Yeah, I've heard that yeah. advice of um, do do your best and then let go of the outcome. Totally, totally. Just be uh, like impartial to that. Or yeah, what do yeah. you think? Do you try to temper your reaction when you do something well, or you're getting lots of praise for something? Of like, okay, the more that I let this affect me right now, the more it's going to hurt when it's the opposite. Mm. Like I'm I'm hanging my confidence on this in a sense. Like this is becoming something that I need by soaking up all this or do you think that there are separate things and you can just uh enjoy it when it's good and not care about it when it's bad as much as i would love to say yes i have a perfect mechanism for <laughs> looping in compliments mm -hmm. and and you know uh processing praise but absolutely not i mean i think that i as i said like having been in a sort of a low space uh you you want to, you do want to have some kind of measured ability to be like, okay, like I'm staying grounded. I'm staying whatever, whatever <laughs> the, the hype of this podcast has not yet gotten to my head. Um, Good. but it's on coming. the, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a common, um, watch out. That train might blow you over. <laughs> um, no, but I think that I so frequently default to doing the opposite too much where I, when something positive comes into my life, I let it blow right by and mm. I don't really focus on, wow, look at this lovely jet stream it left, this this compliment that someone gave me. I often overly do the like, well, I don't want to get too, you know, I want to be measured about this. I don't want to get too high off of my own whatever supply. Um, <laughs> but um, when someone says something negative or critical, um, even if it's something I'm completely open to, you know, and, and want to hear, cause that's often how you learn and grow. I think that that ends up sticking with me much more. And I kind of end up stewing in the negative stuff. Um, you know, cause our, our brains are, um, predisposed to stew on negative stimuli in order to avoid danger and, um, avoid negative consequences and survive. Um, and it's a really active job to, for me at least to, hold on to the things that are positive and the small successes along the way. Cause otherwise if it's all just water under the bridge, then you're always feeling like you're drowning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it didn't answer the question at all. Um, but that's sort of my weighted response. Uh, what while you, you like were talking say? about how you often go the other way and how mm -hmm. you need to, uh, let in the joys a little more. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that that'd be helpful my brain Im immediately mm -hmm. jumps to like, okay, how can you overdo that in a comedic way? Mm. And I thought about um, like, whenever someone tells me to have a nice day at the grocery checkout uh -huh. line or something, like close my eyes, <laughs> taking a deep <laughs> breath and then open them and look at them in the eye and say, thank you. <laughs> I just did. <laughs> Keep nodding and smiling at them while there's a line of people behind me. <laughs> Wow. You know, like finding connections in moments where people weren't really trying to have them, but yeah, like it was an offhand comment and then let those things really affect me. I yeah. just think that'd be fun. It, it weird people out a bit. Yeah. But uh, to the right person, that might be like, oh, I did something good. I'm going to be even more yeah. positive. It might be, and then other people are just like, fucking weirdo. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. I mean, living the lives we lead, you're going to get a lot of people that are just saying like, ah, fucking weirdo. And mm -hmm. you got to just keep moving. Mm -hmm. Um one thing that I always try to do, I mean, in terms of grocery checkout line kind of conversations oh, yeah. is what do you do? I mean, if anyone asks me in general, like, how am I doing? If I'm not good, which is a lot of the time, I don't just, I try to give 
a response that's short enough that it's still socially appropriate yeah. and doesn't yeah. bog them down, but is accurate to yeah. what I'm experiencing. Um, and so, you know, if someone says, how am I? And I'm, you know, not doing that great. I'll say One I'm okay. Star. Or I'm all right. I'll yeah. really take a beat okay. and assess because also I want to like, I like for myself, it sends myself the right message to be authentic to my experience. Cause I don't want to just paint over like I'm having a shitty day or whatever and convince and tell, give myself the message that that's not okay somehow. Um, but also I think it's important to model for that person. Like, you know, I'm really considering your question and I'm not just taking it, taking that nicety for granted. I've heard that expert conversationalists don't respond to the text, but they look at the subtext and respond to that. Oh. So in this case. Yeah, give us an example. Well, in the one that you just gave. Okay. I think that you could tell by the way a person's asking, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. generally people are going through a pleasantry with that check-in of how are you. Totally. And they, I think the function is just to communicate, I am a polite human mm-hmm. who recognizes you mm-hmm. um, and don't mind having a light conversation with you. And yeah. it's a shorthand for that rather than like, how, how, where does your current experience fall in the range of experiences that you've had throughout your life? If you said that, then I'd be like, oh, that person's not just doing that shorthand politeness check-in. And maybe I'm going to use that now when I do. They're really collecting data on me. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think also in this vein, it it depends on the grocery store you shop at. Because I specifically Mm. often shop at Trader Joe's. And those motherfuckers want to talk to you. They want to know, how are you doing? They want to know the story behind your necklace. And I love that shit. Um, I'm not wearing it right now. I know. I know. It's crazy. Um, but (laughs) got some deranged cashier at Trader Joe's. Tell me about your necklace. (laughs) No, they're very polite. No gremlin voice. No, they, yeah, no, they really want to know. (laughs) And Sprouts. Actually, there was a sort of uh, unevenness today. I went to Sprouts and, Mm. um, the, the woman wanted to talk to me and I was like, kind of just, I was just getting the bare men groceries for the bare yeah. men I needed for my lunch. And I was just wanted to be out of there. And mm-hmm. she was like, have you ever did? And I was like, Oh God, now I have to pay attention. <laughs> really <laughs> threw me off. But yeah, I mean, I think that, um, I mean, sort of like what we talked about last week too. It's like the way that you show up also impacts the way that someone else's tone is going to be when they ask how you are, because if you go through the grocery line and you're kind of looking down and you're just in your own world, if you're on your phone, whatever, pulling out your credit card, not kind of paying attention or talking, they might be more likely to slip into that mode of, I'm just, how are you? How are you? Whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Versus if they see that you are standing in front of them, looking directly into their eyes and watching them, you know, do what they're doing. Like they might be more likely to be like, how are you? Cause they will see you as a person that's standing there in front of them present versus just shopper zero one eight seven six. Right. Yeah. I think that's, you're depending on tone to read what that, what, how are you means. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about that idea that uh, skilled conversationalists are responding to the subtext of the intention behind a person's uh, statement or question rather than the text of it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think like as a therapist or a coach or whatever, like, I mean, it's hard for me to even make that distinction at this point, Mm -hmm. honestly, Um, because so much data comes in when someone says something to me. I'm, I'm, you know, when when I learned how to be an art therapist, I'm looking at the art someone's making, how their body is positioned, what they're saying about what they're making, the the pace that they're painting, the whatever, all these different Mm -hmm. little minutia. um, And I'm 
filtering that into my big funnel and then, you know, getting it down to a, a tight stream and being like, what is this person really saying to me? And how do I respond to that? Um, and like a concrete example is uh, self-disclosure as a technique, as a therapist. Like a lot of people get bugged by the fact that when they try to ask their therapist like a direct question about their therapist, like some kind of personal question, the therapist will be like, what does that mean to you? What would it mean yeah. when I told you the answer to that? <laughs> um, and I think where there's a missed opportunity there is anytime a client asks a personal question, they are asking something really that has to do with them. It doesn't necessarily mean that they want to know uh, what's your favorite color. It might be like if you're you know, with a kid, for example, it might be that they want to talk about their favorite color, for example. So instead of directly answering that question and saying, mine's purple, you would be like, oh, what's your favorite color? You want to talk about colors? And so that's in a way like reading the subtext, which is- I think there's checking if they can trust you. Like people sure. who like red or bullshit. <laughs> you know? Yes, it's that that's too. What I, that's why I would ask somebody a question like that. Right. It's that too. And so again, when I say purple, it doesn't tell you if you can trust me or not. Doesn't it? <laughs> Well, you don't want their trust in you to be dependent on what is your answer to that question. Specific, I mean, that question specifically. You want it to depend on like an answer, like a question that is really getting at the meat of, can you trust me? Are we building this rapport here? If you start to suspect that your therapist voted for Trump and that's like a really oh, big fuck. no-no for you, do you think that that's something that you'd want to ask? If you're, if you're discussing social issues with them or the way to treat strangers or things like that, and they're saying a mm-hmm. lot of things that mm-hmm. are like, oh, yeah, it seems like a Trump supporter. <sighs> I just think oh, in that realm, sometimes yeah. you want to know, like, who am I dealing with here? What are their opinions? Yeah. Do they match mine? Like, yeah. do we have roughly the same values? Well, specifically with my therapist, I think that we're far enough into the therapeutic relationship mm-hmm. that it wouldn't or shouldn't invalidate, like, all of the help that she's given me um, to this point. At this point, I would be pretty surprised to find that out based on a lot of other sort of nonverbal stuff. I don't stuff. think that there are any therapists who voted for Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere. Something that happened. If you were a therapist and you wrote, voted for Trump, write us yeah. in. Tell us why. Um, but, I mean, in the beginning stages of the process, maybe. Maybe you would want to know that you had that sort of common connection. And I think that who someone votes for um, has become such a, uh, you know, for right, for right or wrong reasons, a tell of does this person's values match my values? Sure. Um, even though I think underneath all of the baloney, we have pretty much the same values. I feel a lot different about uh, Obama McCain, though. Somebody voted for McCain. I'm like, I don't, I don't really know that much about them. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> cool. I'll get back to you once I know more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um. So, I mean, do we want to uh, talk more about whatever the fuck we're talking about, or do we want to intro what Definitely we're not. doing? Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, like that. Yeah, now that I've really taken a big dump on it, <laughs> yeah. do we want to? Do we do really want to keep going through this pool of shit that we're in <laughs> that we've now created for yeah. ourselves? Well, we shipped in yeah. a bunch of crap, and now we're waiting in it. And do we like that we did that? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so in the sort of spirit of discussing the feedback that we've gotten, oh, yeah, yeah. an exciting. Uh, milestone that I wanted to report Tell was them. that we got our first listener mail Ooh, this yeah. week. 
And I am so fucking excited to be, you know, speaking to someone directly that is, in fact, listening to our words. That means so much, um, you know, that you took the time to mm-hmm. write us and to be vulnerable with us and to let us kind of dive into and take a look around your interpersonal world. That's right. So yeah. if you listening to this right now are jealous or you just want to send in your question for us, please write us at freeadvicepodcast at gmail.com. You can come up with a little disguise name totally. so that we uh, don't reveal your identity. Yeah. Or you don't have here. to because we won't reveal it anyway. Yeah, we're not um, going to say your real name. <laughs> but For legal reasons. Right. For uh, <laughs> Our lawyers have advised us. <laughs> Rob just puts on a mustache and then tells us things about legal advice that he doesn't know anything about. Yeah. Yeah. He gives us free legal advice. (laughs) It's not good, but it'll always be free. Yeah. Sister (laughs) podcast. Our sister podcast, free legal advice. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's exciting to be able to, you know, talk to someone who's really listening and values our opinion enough to be like, Hey, here, come, come wait in my shit for a little while. Instead Mm -hmm. of waiting, come out of your own shit. Come wait in my shit. Um, cause I've been waiting in a lot of my own shit lately and it feels nice to, you know, smell somebody else's. It does. Really does. That's what dogs do it for. Really? I don't know why dogs smell each other. <laughs> I think it's, <clears throat> I do kind of. Okay. Go ahead. Please well, elaborate. Yeah. Uh, I think that's where their pheromone glands are. Oh, right. right and also right. you can tell a lot about a, a thing from its diet. Mm. So if a dog is pooping out other dog meat. Oh shit! You then you know that that some? dog is yeah a dog that eats other dogs. Yeah, and I yeah. think that's mostly what they're checking for is dog cannibalism. Yeah, to assess whether this dog is a threat. You know, this sounds a lot like asking your therapist personal questions. Does it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, so. can I trust this therapist? What's your butthole smell like? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Don't Before know. we start the session, <laughs> thank you for seeing me, but. I'm going to need to smell your butt. <laughs> you understand. Do you eat your patients or not? You could either answer the question or just let me sniff. If I'm about to lay out my shit here and get super vulnerable, I want to know what you're going to do with that information. Are you going to eat me? If you're going to tell me something me I need to know? Out. Yeah. Because if you have a jar in the corner with the rest of your patient's shit in it, yeah. and you're just Gross. eating it, smelling it, whatever. I found out recently that a, uh, a hu- average human body can feed a person for about a month. Wow. Yeah. About 30 days of a 2,500 calorie a day. Okay, so that's what I was going to ask. Is it a month of like, I'm feasting like a king? Is it a no, month of I'm barely calories. fucking surviving? I'm eating a toenail every Monday? Like what kind of a situation? Sustaining your weight. Okay. Okay. Assuming you're not doing heavy physical activity to cook this food. This isn't sure. a survival scenario. Not like you're still going to work and going to the gym every day and trying to thrive uh-huh. and self-actualize <laughs> and you're eating a person on the side. You're not in the sauna. <laughs> no. Um, okay. Now. Yeah. What person would you most want to eat? Ooh, who yeah. do I want to eat? Yeah. Who's the tastiest? Well, so we got to v- evaluate based on taste. Probably also, uh, you I, know, the texture of the meat. How healthy have they been to keep I up their body? Am I killing them or did they die in a oh, freak great accident? Because if I'm killing them, then I need it to be someone who's bad. So Right, right, right. And the Dexter scenario. I'm myself that they're bad. Yeah. Mm, bad meat. Let's say that they're their body just comes to you and you have to eat it. There's no sort of uh, repercussion. Like, for example, if you thought that I would have a body that would be great to be con- to consume, you wouldn't, on top of that, have to mourn the fact that you, like, killed me okay. and mourn my loss. You would be, I guess you would be mourning my loss for other reasons, but it wouldn't be as a result of homicide that you inflicted. Mm-hmm. 
So just just tastiest celeb, let's say. Tastiest celeb. Oh, man. I think I want it to be a woman. Okay. Yeah. Gender would be a, a fair place to start. Yeah. I, I mean, you're like just women versus men body compositions. It's going to be a fatter Probably. specimen. I mean, at least Although you know, among celebrities, there are more fat men than there are fat women, right? Just because of the nature of... Boy, do I ever have no idea, but probably, maybe. <laughs> really? Yeah, I don't know. No, I'm, I'm saying like to be famous as a woman, uh-huh. it's a lot oh, more yeah. caught up right. in you sure. having a perfect body type. It's changing, than, but yes. Than yes. for men, whereas there's a range of fat mm-hmm. male actors, right. James Gandolfini's who <laughs> have no female equivalent. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Like how there's the like the comedy where it's like Seth Rogen and then some like bombshell that you're like, what? Charlie's Theron. Right. We've all seen those ads. Oh, that's happening right now, isn't it? For the new rom-com coming out May 3rd or so. Yeah, that's a real stumper. Long shot, it's called. Okay, so at least they're aware of it now. Mm -hmm. Great. Excellent. Charlie's Theron wears a flat bill in it, which I think is a great look. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. For a woman, for guys, I'm like, okay, yeah, I've seen you at the gas station before. We've been doing this for years. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But when a woman does it. Okay. So would you eat Charlie's Theron? Um, Yeah. Just for the sake of getting out of this question sure okay perfect yeah yeah (laughs) it's totally fair totally fair response yeah i kind of do actually hate like uh would you rather or like uh, hypothetical scenarios where the two options or like whatever the options are are just so horrific that you're like suicide clause i'm out i can't do it um but yeah i mean i'm someone who is like you know in my own personal life already like suicide clause question mark (laughs) (laughs) So it doesn't take much. <laughs> Whenever you say that, I'm thinking of like uh, a version of Santa Claus that was in, that's like a Suicide Squad villain. <laughs> it's like all punk rock and shit. With... Suicide Claus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's got like a grill. And Mrs. Claus. <laughs> yeah. Face tats. That's Suicide Claus to me. That's very funny. Thanks. I like that. It puts the red suit in much more perspective. Why? It's blood? Blood, yeah. yeah okay. I don't know. Whatever. Um, oh, speaking of that, yeah. I started watching, um, the, because I was like already in HBO mode from watching Game of Thrones last night. Mm-hmm. I started watching, um, the HBO special on Robin Williams, Come Inside My Mind. And I, ha- <laughs> I didn't know how it was spelled. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, C-O-M-E, but mm-hmm. I think the entendre is palpable and intentional. Um, but I haven't finished it. I watched like the first half, but. Um, you know, as someone who is obviously quite fascinated and, um, intellectually stimulated, I guess, by the, um, topic of, uh, depression and suicide. And then especially celebrity, what in the world was that? All of that stretching your legs out. I just put my feet up. Rob made a very like orgasmic face as he stretched his legs out to, uh. Man, we're going to have to edit this out. I don't want people thinking about me making an orgasmic face. <laughs> well, they, the beauty of it is they can imagine whatever the fuck they want. No. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, we can edit it out. We can edit out the whole fucking thing. No, we're not going to. We can start recording right now. No, anyway, so the Robin Williams special. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I am fascinated by uh, celebrity suicide, especially because... I have my own personal working theory. Um, Um, What? I love hearing people's 
yeah. theories. Yeah. So here's mine. Yeah. Um, and I haven't finished the documentary, um, but I mean, I'm kind of basing it on my own personal experience and imagining, okay, what would fame look like layered on top of that? Um, which essentially I think is that, you know, the more you're in the public spotlight, you the more you become and sort of have this persona. And then people see you as this persona and expect certain things from you. They expect you to be entertaining, they expect you to be funny, they expect you to be sexy, they expect you to be whatever the fuck they want you to be. Um, and then you're kind of stuck as that. And depression already is this disease where you feel very isolated and disconnected and not known as your authentic self mm-hmm. and, and that somehow your authentic self is unacceptable. And if people knew all the sad shit going on in my mind, or if people knew this or if people knew that no one would be able to tolerate me. And so I have to hide and keep, keep myself very much under wraps. And so I think fame just kind of explodes that um, to where any type of validation of, you know, I see you for who you authentically are and I love you for that kind of disappears because you probably are always wondering well, does so-and-so only like me when I'm funny or only like me when I'm this, that, and the other? Um, and so I think that probably creates a, dro- a growing disconnect between um, you know, your, ascent- uh, your vulnerable, authentic yeah. self that desperately needs to get seen and um, feel connected to and, and feel vulnerable and the, the person that people know you as or most people know you as and, and are constantly showering you with love for being um, or criticism and for being. And do you think that uh, cartoonization or simplification happens inevitably as someone is seen more and more as they become more famous or do some famous people manage Mm. to keep a authentic presentation and feel pretty aligned with their public persona? Yeah. I mean, most celebrities are out there committing suicide. So I think people have figured it out for sure. Um, But I definitely think that it can be a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I had something else I was going to say, but I have no fucking clue. Um, what was the rest of that question? <laughs> uh, if you don't remember, we can just, just move was, right is it inevitable on. for people oh, to, is it inevitable? Or do some, can you think of a, a person that, I think that's not the only factor in someone committing suicide too. Like there are plenty oh, of people totally. who are pretty different from their public persona. I imagine like carrot top, <laughs> but you know, he's not, he's a quiet homebody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, very, not very reactive. Maybe he is at risk. I don't know. But the, there are other factors that lead to a yeah. person. Oh, themselves. of course. Of course. Um, I mean, family life. And then and then all these things, other things kind of can come and go and exacerbate or improve the situation. Drugs, um, you know, having a having a grounded like social network, I would assume people who, you know, maybe knew you before you were famous or you know, that you can turn to, to still feel like yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, and then I think probably some of it too, is that phenomenon of what you were talking about earlier about, um, then becoming dependent on that positive validation. Um, I, I, I want zero part of fame for that reason. Cause I think that it just is a force that so many people aren't prepared to handle the entire weight of. Yeah. So, yeah. You want to move to our question? We totally can. I'm game for it. I'm ready for it. I think that topic's been explored for me. 
Fuck yeah. Okay, so I'm really excited about this. Again, not just because it exists and is our first listener mail, but because it is a topic that I've been on either side of. Um, and so I'm just super excited to dig into it with you specifically. So great. the topic is sexual rejection. Okay. And the question is, I have a lot of sex with my significant other, but one out of five times I try to initiate sex, I get turned down and I cannot help but shut down emotionally and feel super rejected and unwanted and gross and not sexy and needy and frustrated. And it keeps me awake. Mm. significant other is kind of in charge of initiating sex in this scenario because I feel like I'm getting gun shy on initiating because of rejection. Woof help. Yeah. Uh, you think male? Yes. Okay. Woof. It's keeping them awake. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. He says significant other is kind of Mm -hmm. in charge of initiating sex in this situation. Yeah. Do you think that means from, only right after a rejection or that like after rejections now they're not initiating more. Cause they also say four out of five times, I don't know, one out of five yeah. times they get rejected, yeah. which to I've, put positively in your head is four out of five times. <laughs> There's an acceptance, which is something you could celebrate. Um, oh yeah, that's a good point. That's a great point. Um, I think it is fair to be like, Hey, celebrate that the four out of five times. But my, what I imagine to answer your question is that, it was probably more even yeah. um, in terms of who was initiating. And then maybe once this person started to feel like rejection was sort of an, a more imminent part of the equation that they kind of ramped down because gun shy. Um, I mean, which I, I totally get. I mean, rejection. I love your theories on rejection and wanting to be exposed to more rejection. And I think that people admire the shit out of that because for the most part, we hate rejection and find it so difficult to tolerate. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think any type of repeated rejection does affect, you know, your kind of like learning and your pattern recognition mm-hmm. process of now every time I'm going to initiate sex, you're already imagining the scenario of being rejected. And so you're like fucking, you know, right. dead, dead in the water, dead out of the gate. I don't know what the fucking expression is, but yeah. I think... Uh, important questions for this writer to ask themselves are, do they think that it should be uh, five out of five times that they try to initiate sex Mm. that it's accepted? Um, And if so, why is it because they think that they are so good at reading the moment and the internal state of their partner that they always know that it's going to be accepted? Mm. Um, I think a lot of what creates sexual tension and fun, the, the desire, the excitement of it is the ambiguity of not knowing whether this person is going to be into it or not. That that, that fear m- makes it feel better when they do say yes. And that's what makes sex more exciting than like masturbation, unless you're rolling the dice with masturbation too and you don't know whether you can <laughs> like, get aroused or not. <laughs> but <clears throat> I think that that's... Uh, Something that can be a positive is that unknown that like fuels the excitement when there is a yes, is that there are no's sometimes. I cannot say that I particularly agree with that. Um, as far as the, um, at least, at least if I'm in this mode yeah. of feeling like there's a possibility of rejection, it, it definitely adds more of a sense of gravity to each ask. Mm-hmm. Because you're always waiting for it to be that one out of five times, even if, again, the the brain being predisposed to 
the negative. Um, you're always worried that even if four out of the five times you're getting a yes, the one out of five time could be a no. And I mean, this person is saying that um, when he gets turned down, he feels shut down emotionally and rejected and unwanted and gross and not sexy and needy and frustrated. Yeah. And that that's what's keeping him awake, I think, more so than how do I get my partner to say yes five out of five times? Okay. Um, I think the feelings associated coping with, with the rejection. feelings and not yeah. allowing them to get worse um, is probably to me, the focal point of this question. Um, and I think, so there's a, there's two kind of layers to it, which is like one, how do you cope with that yourself? And how do you look into the deeper issues of when has rejection meant those things to you or seemed mm -hmm. to mean those things? Um, and then, how can you talk to your partner about it so that they know how to support you? Not so that they will say yes five out of five times, but so that they will know how to support you when they deliver that no. Um, you know, something like I'm not saying, um, you know, no, no forever. I'm saying no for right now. And maybe if maybe if he could encourage her, I assume it's a female partner, um, to, uh, you know, maybe give him a little bit more information or context yeah. as to why it's a no for her right now. Yeah. I think, uh, this is just coming to me now, but another solution mm -hmm. is, um, investigate the underlying motivations for that sexual mm. request. It may be, um, just that they want attention. It might be mm -hmm. to have an orgasm assisted mm -hmm. by another person, mm -hmm. but it might be, um, feeling like you're both paying attention to the same thing or just yeah. feeling seen or, cause maybe you could suggest another activity that like, your reason for your no, it, it is up to you. There's no like good or bad reasons. I think you can't like tell a person yeah. that's a shitty reason to not have sex with someone or. Yeah. But yeah. Um, if you don't want to have sex with somebody, maybe you do still want to cuddle or um, are interested in a back rub or that like anything physical just feels like it's too much. You're just tired or don't yeah. feel like being in contact with them. Yeah. And um, then you could have a conversation or if you just want to be alone, then that's, I, I think communicating why is an important step in this. And sometimes you can find yeah. an alternate activity that meets a lot of the needs that sex would. Yeah. And I think I t absolutely responding to that. Um, so thank you for that jumping off point. What yeah. I, I think what's important to know too, is that like the topic of this, the heading is sexual rejection. And so that sexual rejection is bringing him to this feeling space of, um, you know, all these other negative things. And so maybe the solution could be um, being really clear with the partner that, look, it makes me feel really rejected. And so if we're not going to have sex, which is totally fine, what's a way I really need you to help me feel accepted right now. Yeah. So kind of coming up with an acceptance uh, contingency plan yeah. where it's like, okay, we're not going to have sex but how can you help me feel accepted or how can I feel accept, help you feel accepted in this moment Maybe where I said no? You read me something from your journal when you were a kid or show mm -hmm. me pictures from that vacation you went on that you told me yeah. about yeah. and I'll cheer and laugh with you. Yeah. And uh, Something else that requires us to be vulnerable and yeah. for me to say, I see you and I accept you as you are yeah. versus having to be physically naked and literally like accept someone's seed right now I'm, so. I'm sure there's some guys that are like really you're telling me like flipping through a photo album on my phone is gonna feel as good as coming right now it's not what i'm in the mood for <laughs> this isn't what i asked yeah exactly yeah um 
And then that's why I think it's important that people are still able to masturbate for the health of their yeah. relationships yeah. and that people don't. But so as a guy yeah. with that sort of like egoic component of, but I want to come, like yeah. what, what do you think would make you feel accepted in that moment? I mean, obviously you gave some examples, but for you specifically, what yeah. would help you overcome that rejection? After being rejected? Yeah. Um, I don't have anything right now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be silent too long. Uh, That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners ain't going to reject us. They find with a little silence. Yeah, I can think about it too for myself. I think even asking, I mean, if I wanted to have sex and I was t telling my, you know, trying to sort of like non-verbally initiate, that's the other thing. Is it explicit verbal rejection? You know, are you asking, can we have sex? And she says no. Or is it like, you know, you try to touch her thigh and she kind of moves away. Because yeah. um, the intervention does kind of change. But I think either in either of those scenarios, I think just bringing it into the light and saying, hey, like I'm trying this and I'm trying that and I'm really trying to read you and I want to know, um, you know, what's going on here. Like I'm trying to do this and you're responding with this um, and it's making me feel this way. Just bringing it up verbally and into the light so that you guys can, that's another opportunity for connection as opposed to missed connection. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm wrestling with, I have this rule that it's okay to ask as long as it's okay for the answer to be no. Totally. And I think that puts me in a situation where I can only ask to mm. have sex if I'm all right with the answer being no. But there are times yeah. when I'm like, oh, I know that it would hurt if the answer was no right now. And I think Ooh. it would be yes. But if I, if knowing that I would be pretty uncomfortable with the answer being no at that moment, do I still have a right or am I still justified in asking? Yeah. Well, you could say like, I know that the potential for this question to, for the answer to be no here would be hurtful to me. Yeah. And I, so that signals to me that I'm wanting something more than just sex. Do you want to have sex? And if not, let's come up with something together that will feel less hurtful. Right. I don't know. But yeah, it's meeting that emotional need, um, which of course sex does beautifully meet so many emotional needs. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not the only pathway. Right. I think we sometimes can over-rely on it. I think that's a, a common first piece of advice that sex therapists give couples mm. is get into bed and you're not allowed to have sex. Generals yeah. aren't allowed to come out, but yeah. explore ways to touch each other that make each other feel good. Yeah. And then it's And about, unhurried. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important one too. It's like sharing the time and attention and exploring those things together and like seeing each other's motivation for that. Yeah. Where you've disengaged the script that the person, you know, since we're teenagers, we learn a certain routine that for many people does not change sexually. That this, these are like when this input happens, mm -hmm. this output is what I do. And to shake that up intentionally, I think is an important way to get closer to a person yeah. and can be more intimate than sex. Yeah. If you're like going through a rote routine with your last however many partners, then that can uh, be less intimate than something that you're discovering for the first time that isn't explicitly sexual with a new person. Yeah, because often sex can feel like this race to a finish line um, rather than, you know, you get started running and you enjoy the feeling of like the blood pumping mm -hmm. and, you know, your heart rate raising and the breath and, you know, all those things that, you know, theoretically we enjoy about running. But if we're always worried about 
how long am I going to run? How far am I going to run? How fast am I going to run? Da, 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 da. Am I going to make it this? Am I going to meet this the goal? That and that. Yeah. It, the metrics. It, and- yeah. It takes a lot of the play out of it. And I think so much of our interaction with other people during the, throughout the day is so mind focused and so cerebral and often our only opportunities to connect with someone physically is through our relationships, our mm-hmm. romantic relationships. And so I think there's a more general need to expand the opportunities, especially for adults for like physical play connection that way through the body. I totally agree. Yeah. You're, you're so good at that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I really admire that. And that's something that I fucking suck at. I can point it out all day cerebrally and verbally, but you suck at it. (laughs) We had a nice hug when I saw you today. That's true. We did have a nice hug. Yeah. Yeah. Not terrible. Yeah. I mean, and, and speaking specifically about our relationship, Mm -hmm. um, Oh yeah, this is relevant to us. Yeah, this is relevant. I mean, around when we were trying to kind of decide if we were going to try dating or whatever, there was a a real lack of physical comfort for me on my mm-hmm. end with touching you at all because I was worried, well, is it gonna is it gonna mean this? Is it gonna mean that? Is it gonna lead to this? Is it gonna blah blah blah? Is it gonna give the wrong sign? Am I gonna blah 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 blah? And then by the time I was through all that mumbo jumbo in my head, I didn't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was pretty calm about that. I think it surprised me. Um, it hurt when you said that you didn't want to date me or you yeah. didn't see me that way, that it was just not a right fit. Yeah. And I think it was important that I told you and I told you it was important as I was yeah. saying it. I was like, all right, I need to feel the disappointment of this. My instinct is to tell you that's okay and just act like I'm all right with it and detached. But yeah. I was pretty attached to the outcome of you wanting me physically. Yeah. And I was like, all right, so this sucks. I got to be with this for now. Yeah. And so how did we handle that rejection? And how did, did I, or did I not make you feel accepted emotionally? You did. Um, You didn't tell me not to be upset. (laughs) I don't, I I can't remember you doing anything in particular. I think it's more what you didn't do, which was I could expect a person saying like, you can't be mad about this. I don't Mm. know you anything or... Mm. Um, I think it's just listening and nodding and holding space for my feelings without being defensive or telling me that I should feel another way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it took maybe a week or two mm-hmm. and then I felt pretty back to normal. There were still twinges every now and then of you telling me about another guy that was like, oh yeah. man, could have been me. Yeah. But... I feel like I transitioned out of that. I got over that rejection definitely in large part by telling you about how it felt when it was happening. Yeah. Um, and narrating that experience. And honestly, I think about that a lot. I think about how fucking strong and emotionally sound and beautiful of a person you are that Mm. we got through that period and that you still wanted to be around me after I had rejected you in that specific way. Um, and I just admire the living hell out of you for that. I, yeah. I, I think about it like at least once a week, probably, honestly. Thank you. And it makes me really grateful to have you as a friend. I, uh, I think I have, this really appeals to my complex as like a, <laughs> a hero amongst men that 
<laughs> I have this oh thing where if I can be seen in a woman's eyes as like a guy who is different or make them think, huh, mm. maybe all men aren't just trying to fuck all the time. <laughs> maybe some of them actually have a sliver of good somewhere deep down inside of them. Right between their be balls. That, oh, I get so, so much harder for that than actual sex. That's like wow. my, uh, if I can be that, oh, it's over. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, let me be the first exclusive <laughs> to tell you right here. You are a hero among no. oh, men. Geez. Now, I wanted to wow. use a specific word. I wanted to use your words. Um, Hold on. You're going to have yeah. pause the podcast. I got to go drink <laughs> Just off. getting too <laughs> self-indulgent. I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, that was Rob Boner hitting the table. <laughs> nice one. More like kaboom. <laughs> She knock with one knuckle. Come on. We're going to put a fist through the wall if you're going to do that sound effect, Morgan. <laughs> well, gosh, I'm sorry I undersold the flattery. Um, no, this but... is, you hear me uh, relying on humor again when things get sincere. I start to feel. <laughs> oh, feel good self-awareness. Good insight. Yeah. 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 Got to escape yeah. through laughter because you get that pent up. Yeah feelings it's like oh i'm either gonna cry or laugh and yeah well i'm a lot more used to one of them <laughs> laughing <laughs> <laughs> one of them i do on stage and yeah. it's laughing um right yeah i want to i want to go yeah. back to the question okay. uh not because this isn't great but um i have a lot i feel like i kind of put you on the spot because you're representing the male perspective okay yes um please tell me I, you've been on both sides of this, i've been on both sides and more frequently on the side of the person saying no I think um, women, though, have maybe some of the women I've dealt with have a tougher time being rejected than mm-hmm. I would expect in the way that they talk about guys, the way that mm-hmm. men should act when they're rejected. It's like there's conscious or not. I think a lot of women really struggle the first time that they're rejected sexually from a man because they're probably not used to it. Or Right. Right. It's it's a much less common experience for us, but that does not give us the right to not be able to perspective take. And okay. uh simply because we have so much experience being on the other side, Mm -hmm. like we can, you know, we should be able to kind of be like, Oh, you know, I remember how whatever, whatever felt. Take it out of shoulds Um, for a second though. And just tell me about that. Uh, what does it feel like? Yeah. You remember the first time that you, uh, invited someone to have sex and then they said, no, what was that like? Oh my God. All right. Well, (laughs) let's take a walk down memory lane. (laughs) Okay. Um, there was a specific person who I was sort of in relationship with this kept happening over and over and over again. And we never actually ended up having sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we, my friends and I have a fun nickname for him. Um, but anyway, so uh, yeah, it was, I wanted to be empathetic. I wanted to be the stronger person in that moment, but I also fucking wanted what I wanted. You know, I, I um, had the, that moment, of course, my brain first goes to what's wrong with me, yeah, right? Versus like, what are all the things going through this person's mind that are leading them to this conclusion? Is it that they don't feel comfortable with me yet? Is it that they feel like I would have sex with them and then the relationship would disintegrate because that was all I wanted? And at a certain point, I admit that that is what would have happened because it became this game to me. It became this thing I couldn't have. And I became uninterested in any other guy because this was the one that was not giving me what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And that's horrible to, you know, admit to and to, to watch happen to yourself live. Um, but it really did help me to understand 
um, yeah, being on the other side of that coin and feeling like not feeling like I'm entitled to it. I earned it, but, but feeling like, what am I doing wrong that I'm not getting this thing that many other people are offering me, you know? Um, and I think, I think what the problem was is a total communication breakdown. We weren't really tackling the problem head on. Um, it was like, um, you know, we'd be kind of like fooling around and then I would try to, you know, do a nonverbal thing to get to a certain, um, you know, the next level of whatever. And he would basically kind of like, you know, often he was really drunk. I mean, we were in college, so, you know, that was a factor too. Um, you know, he would turn over and be like, I'm tired. Let's go to bed, whatever. I'm, I'm oversimplifying and I'm sure he would report something completely different probably, but you know, so in my mind, I felt like I had like exhausted all the options. Actually, this is kind of a funny um, side note. I was telling, I was explaining this problem to my dad um, because my dad and I have like a kind of a tight relationship and we talk about shit. And my dad's advice was pretty much to just rape him. <laughs> he was like, once you start t- touching him, you know, I mean, he'll, he'll get into it. You just keep going. And I, I was like, dad, no, no, oh, <laughs> but you know, he's from a totally yeah. different generation and, you know, look at the problem totally differently. And, you right. know, I, when I would come to my friends with it, they would be like, oh, he's probably gay or he's probably this or that or whatever. No yeah. one wanted to be like, okay, there could be something wrong with you or there could be something wrong with the way that you're approaching it. But the real problem was that I, my self-worth was low enough at that point that I just kept going after this person who wasn't giving me what they wanted. And whatever the reason was, it was I was going after this same message again and again. It's like, you know, the definition of insanity mm-hmm. of doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Um, what I needed to do was pick myself up and go, hey, you, someone else who is attractive and actually worth your time um, can give you the thing that you want. And it can be really beautiful and satisfying. But I had, you know, in my like fucking overachiever, distorted ass college brain of being like, but I've set my sights on this one target. Mm -hmm. Why isn't it happening? Um, And then the self-worth as a result kind of getting lower and lower and lower as you continue to bounce up against the same wall of rejection. Um, Yeah, it hurts real fucking bad. Is there... (laughs) is the very long answer to that question. <laughs> so do you think that that's important for our our questioner to express to his partner in these moments of rejection or at a separate time? And how does a healthy relationship deal with this, basically? It, I think it's yeah. it's pretty common to feel hurt in those moments of rejection, yeah. but also feel like you're unable to like that. Oh, I know that I should just respect whatever they want. And so then you're judging those feelings that can make them worse. Drive yeah. resentment wedging between the two partners. Yeah. I mean, I think that the overall message that I want to convey to this person is that the more that you are on your own stewing in these hurt feelings, the more you're kind of closing a door mm-hmm. um, in the relationship yeah. and on your partner and on yourself where you're, um, not, I mean, it's a huge risk to take, of course, to vulnerably ask someone for to, to meet your needs mm-hmm. during a time when you're already, like you said, gun shy, feeling gross, feeling not sexy, all this stuff. Um, 
But as much as you can possibly try to, in a grounded manner, and again, perhaps not at this critical moment, you know, the the inside of the bedroom versus the outside of the bedroom, so to speak, conversation rule, I think applies here, where if you want a certain uh, result in the bedroom, you want your partner to meet X or Y need, talk about it at a time when you're not so emotionally vulnerable. You're not both naked and in your own kind of vulnerability land. Um, You know, create its own space to communicate. And that way both people can kind of bring, um, you know, a more grounded, more rational sensibility to the conversation. And not that that can prevent, would completely prevent emotions getting out of hand, but it's it's a better place to start. Um, and, you know, see where it goes. I mean, see what's going on in their mind when they're rejecting you. See what they um, are thinking. See if there's a way outside of the bedroom that you can better meet their needs. Maybe there's a time, maybe there's something that, I mean, and not to sort of victim blame, but I mean, there could be something outside of the bedroom where where they're feeling rejection from you. And so there's yeah. an unconscious desire to reciprocate that rejection. I have no clue. Yeah. I'm just talking out of my ass, but it's a possibility. And the opening the lines of communication will allow that to bubble up. I agree. Um, I think that it would require of your partner to hold space for your feelings um, without feeling responsible for them, to listen mm-hmm. to you. This is a really mm-hmm. tough thing that I've been trying yeah. to wrestle with is yeah. how do you be, how is it possible to be responsible for your own feelings? Feels like if if my partner does something that makes me mad, they're the reason that I'm mad. How am I just going to, you know, if they do something really shitty, if they cheat on me yeah. and I'm disappointed yeah. in that, that how is that my fault? Well, mm-hmm. I'm trying to understand this concept of the difference between it being mm-hmm. my fault and my responsibility that- yeah. It could be someone else's fault that I feel this way or they are where the the impetus for it. But yeah. now that I'm feeling a certain way, I am responsible for that. And not all of my feelings are my partner's responsibility. Um, I think it makes it easier to hear if you're operating under that assumption. Does that make sense? I still haven't totally figured out the language for this. And it's something that I'm kind of yeah. Trying to discover for myself. I'll tell you why you haven't figured out the language because yeah. it's a damn fucking complicated <laughs> thing. It really, really is. Yeah. And the level of challenge totally varies based on how messy is the emotion. Um, and hell yeah, we're all trying to figure this out. And there really is no one right answer. I mean, to this question or to any of the questions that we're tackling. I mean, we're tackling these questions because they're big and they're messy. And we're just trying to use whatever limited window of experience we have to shed some light on some possible avenues to work towards a solution. Um, And one question that you asked that I wanted to really specifically pull out and try to, again, from, from the perspective of someone who's completely flawed and in a really wonderful, loving relationship with someone else who's also flawed. um, But we're coming together and trying to have a healthy relationship, Mm -hmm. like you said. So how does a healthy relationship um, deal with this? Um, my partner and I are both very communicative and very sensitive in our own ways and um, have had to overcome a lot and are still overcoming a lot of uh, gaps in our communication styles and and just sort of a slight mismatch um, in that department. 
And, you know, on the one hand, it's a blessing because we remind ourselves that we have to do the hard work of having the long conversations and not just making assumptions of, well, when you did this, I assumed it meant this to me. And so then I reacted this way and blah, 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 blah. You really have to unpack like, oh, what did, oh, that's what you meant by that? Oh, that was what was going through your head? We're constantly surprised by the subtext versus just the text um, because it hits us in such different ways. And so I think that I think that a healthy relationship, the ground is really striving for a healthy relationship and committing to doing the hard work that that takes and not expecting things to be perfect and smooth right out of the gate. Um, You know, there's this trope about, oh, if it's easy, if it's natural, then that's how you know it's a good whatever. It's like, "Eh, maybe. Maybe if that's true for you and that's something that you like to come back to as a reminder that that's why you're in the relationship, great. Um, You know, for my relationship, I use different metrics. Um, But I mean, I think there have to be moments that are, you know, easy and natural and points of connection that make sense. Um, But, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth swinging on different ends of the pendulum of, you know, who wants to have sex when and Mm -hmm. what are we trying to get out of that connection? And it comes open being as honest and as vulnerable as you possibly can going to those really scary places and trusting that your partner can hold what the content of those scary places is. And then on both sides as the person who is either rejected for sex or, um, you know, uh, rejected for sex or we're doing the rejecting, being patient, trusting that, another opportunity will come along when you both want to have sex and it will be joyful and it will be beautiful and it will be, um, I don't want to use this word because I just kind of poo-pooed it, but more natural, uh, more organic. Um, And if you're finding that those opportunities are coming fewer and fewer, then that's an opportunity to break open that conversational nugget. I really want to connect coming from a place of, I really want to connect with you in this way. I want to share myself vulnerably with you. I want to connect physically. Um, What will make you feel more comfortable to do that? Does it start with some touching? Does it start with, um, you know, if I know that you had a bad day at work, that's going to be a no go from the get go. So like talking about some of the contextual things again, like that are getting in the way and not going, Oh my God, they don't have want to have sex with me because I'm not sexy because I'm gross because I'm whatever, whatever, whatever narrative you yeah. tend to tell yourself. I, uh, I think of it in this model of, uh, that attraction comes from the right balance of there being both trust and mm. freedom. Mm. And that if you don't feel free in a relationship with a person to do new things or act independent of them, you can lose a lot of sexual desire for them because they feel like a a case, a, a trap, something that's holding you back or holding you down. And a lot of yeah. that is, comes, in my experience, from not expressing some desire to my partner and assuming that they are going, that they are holding me back. That they, the cage that they represent is really in my mind, and if I mm-hmm. talk to them about it, that then I might feel freer. And then a lot of times that ignites passion again. And then the trust bit is figuring out. When are the, often you can see from when you're hurt, what are the expectations of mine that are being violated? What are the things that I want from a person that them doing that uh, represents um, like a carelessness or a uh, danger to me? 
And if you can talk about both of those things, then I think I've always felt a lot closer and more attracted in my relationships that have started to uh, go stale for a moment. Um, so I don't know that that's necessarily our askers problem though, because they said it's like one out of five times. Um, I want to make the point that a lot of times rejection has nothing to do with you as a guy. Uh, you're part, if you're straight, your female partner, or if you're bi, whatever, if you're, if you're getting with a woman, mm -hmm. there are, uh, factors that make her in the mood or out of the mood that are unbeknownst Come to you. Come and go with the moon. And then, yes, and really, like, <laughs> have to do with her yep. period or her cycle. Um, things that she's aware of that you're not, and then things that she's not even aware of and you're also not. Completely. Right? Um, Completely. And some of that is just from being a person. Um, I think there's an additional layer that women have to deal with, with monthly cycles and, and pressures that men just are unaware of. Um, but some of that's just being a human that you're not always going to be hungry. You're not always going to want to take a nap when you're tired in the mood. Um, you know, nap sounds great. Show me that juicy bed. Or like <laughs> if I haven't eaten anything in a long time, then yeah, I really want a burger. Yeah. But even then sometimes you can be really tired and not be able to will, will yourself to go to sleep. Um, mm -hmm. our bodies are these complex things and no, not even Fabio, the sexiest man that ever walked the earth or whoever GQ Which we last, all agree on. I don't know, Tyrese Gibson, whoever they sure, say, The sure, Rock, sure. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Um, I doubt many people would say that. Really? The Rock seems like a, uh, a great guy to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll save this for another podcast. Uh, even him. Thoughts on The Rock. Even he isn't going to uh, have 100% batting average totally. of when he asks your girlfriend to have sex with him. <laughs> He might, he might get rejected five out of five times. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you being rejected by somebody doesn't mean that you aren't sexy and you don't always have to be sexy or get to be sexy. And that's okay. That's not your only worth as a person. And these types of things do uh, come and go. And like people get sick. No, you know, sometimes you'll see uh, someone that you look up to only in photoshopped images or in a very carefully presented series of photos or videos online or, you know, whatever their celebrity yeah. in movies and TV. And uh, people don't always look that good. You know, people are gross. <laughs> Even the hottest people in the world have moments where they smell like shit. Yeah. Like I bet if you took, like think of the hottest celebrity you could possibly mm -hmm. think of right now. If you took... Um, you know how on your nail clippers, there's that little like one that basically just looks like a knife kind of to, to get underneath the nail. The little hook. Yeah, the little hook. Yeah, if yeah. you, hottest celebrity in the world, I bet if you took that little fucking hook Ooh, and you yeah. went what under you the corners do? of their big toes and oh, you yeah. culled whatever was underneath and just tucked into those corners for who the fuck knows how long, that shit's going to smell gross. Yeah. 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 Someone hot enough though, you might be kind of into it. <laughs> if you're a sick fuck like me. <laughs> yes, of course I'm not speaking uh, to the people who have like toe jam fetishes because yeah. they're gonna be about it all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but, Get under oh, Charlie Theron's toe and <laughs> start licking my lips, wrap my bib up around my neck. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Get some of that Theron toe gunk. <laughs> um, really quickly, yeah. I want to because the only experience I really talked about in detail was the one where I was 
in the role of the um, rejected person. And but more common to my relationship experience has been, you know, several relationships that are sort of medium term, where over time I've wanted to have sex less and less. Yeah. And so I, I don't think that that was the problem, so to speak, but it was definitely, uh, it was a symptom that we were ignoring in all these cases for too long. And and I dealt with it in different ways with different partners and they dealt with it in different ways. Um, you know, I had, I've had a, a partner who just stopped trying. I've had a partner who would force it kind of in a way, um, or, you know, kind of shame me or what, you know, whatever it is. Um, and obviously none of those were great choices. Um, what's the ideal choice from the ideal thing? I, I think the real thing that was happening there was, you know, we weren't a good enough fit and the relationship was falling apart for other reasons. Um, and you know, I didn't feel attuned to enough, which is kind of why I think this is a great point actually in observing this recurring phenomena, phenomenon, no, phenomena is plural, but observing this phenomenon for the question asker, um, when you're getting rejected one out of five times, that's a place where I'm sure there's still a ton of room to have this conversation and stretch this muscle um, because you're not yet at a point. It doesn't sound like where the disconnection is such that it's happening all the time. It's not too ruptured. Four out of five times you're getting a yes, like we keep acknowledging. And so, um, you know, as you notice that sort of potential for recurrence, as you notice that wave building, jump in and don't be afraid to say, hey, let's stop this train for a minute and let's really assess what's going on. Um, because with a lot of those people that I dated, you know, they weren't a great fit for me and I jumped into a relationship and then, you know, it fizzled and it's nobody's fault. But I think that if the, the underlying sense of we really deeply care about each other and feel compatible long term um, we're hungry at the same times or we're sleepy at the same time, so to speak, generally. Um, when both parties have an investment in doing the hard work to right the ship, that's where the success and the health is going to be. I want to ask you about uh, the idea of maintenance sex. Have you yeah. heard Amy Poehler's no. thoughts on this? No. I think it was in uh, Yes, Please. Okay, I read that, but... Boy, my memory sucks. I don't actually remember reading this. I just remember other people discussing oh, her. Oh, okay. I feel uh, a little better about my memory. Yeah, yeah. so don't okay. worry about it. So what is it? She said something along the lines of, and if this was another female comic, I'm sorry, or if I'm misquoting it, but basically <laughs> well, that if you're with somebody long-term, I think if you get married with mm -hmm. somebody, mm -hmm. sometimes you just have to have sex when you're not particularly feeling it mm -hmm. as a way of taking care of your partner. And mm. that that's kind of like... Uh, Going to their friend's baby shower or <laughs> I'm, I'm now extrapolating. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that she actually made yeah. that comparison, yeah. but that it's just like another thing that you have to do sometimes because people make sacrifices for each other. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people were upset by this, mm -hmm. as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know exactly where I stand. Yeah. So yeah. I'm interested in your take and then I'll yeah. give you my incomplete thoughts. Yeah. Um, fascinating. I mean, I could see obviously why that would have a negative reaction, um, but I also... 
can understand you, uh, it. make that explicit just for people who are currently thinking like, oh yeah, that's just in case we have listeners that are like, oh, why would it ever be seen another way? Um, rephrase that. Sorry. Can you make explicit the, you said you can see why that would have oh, an adverse reaction. Yeah. I could see why her saying that sex is just some obligation that you have to yeah. like fucking suck it up and do, um, <laughs> would be problematic for some people. Of course. A lot of women have felt that in their entire lives and only have sex in that condition. Completely. And part of women's liberation is like overcoming that type of thing. Absolutely. And that it's not our obligation from, to from, have sex okay. anytime. Yeah, sure. Of course. Um, I think it becomes a little different when you enter into like a very long term mm -hmm. partnership and you're monogamous. So there's no other sexual outlet with a partner. Um, I think that's something that you negotiate, um, you know, and again, like, what can I even if we're we're in this space where, you know, maybe neither of us want it that much or one person wants it and the other person just kind of feels like Ugh, whatever. Um, that's where it becomes important to discuss the minutia of well, what turns you on? What can I, what can we do to navigate this moment together? Um, and I think as the person who potentially in a long-term relationship would know that they over time lose this will and desire to have sex, it can become kind of a personal project of what do I have to overcome in order to get myself in the mood? What can I do to make my, um, my slide from, you know, uh, person who's working really hard all day and has to be like some kind of, uh, again, like su some super cerebral role. How do I hasten that slide into someone who is comfortable and in their body? Um, you know, do I touch myself? Do I light the candles in a certain way? Do I, whatever. And it kind of becomes, do you smoke some weed? Rob is gesturing. <laughs> sure. Whatever it is that, you know, you don't want to rely on certain tropes always to get you in the mood because then that becomes a signal to the other person in, in a way that again can get distorted and feed into this machine of mm. it being forced. Um, but it can be, you know, a practice like any other, which is loosening yourself up. If you tend to be someone that tightens over time and, and sort of loses touch with that sense of their body. And so I almost think when you say maintenance sex, I think of it for yourself too. Um, because I know that often when I initially maybe didn't really want to have sex or, or was kind of not too keen on the, on the idea, but my partner was patient with me and did something that showed me, you know, they didn't need it to be sex. They didn't need it to turn into anything. They just wanted to spend quality time with me. Sometimes I end up opening up to it and warming up to it. And then by the time it's over, I am so glad that they stayed with me mm -hmm. through that moment of, well, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so it feels like maintenance for me too, because it's having an orgasm um, is a tremendous physical release and, um, you know, does a lot for your brain chemistry, all that shit. I don't know enough to really say anything specific about <laughs> it. It sounded but good. Yeah, yeah. 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 It sounded so good. Um, but, you know, it's a flood of all those things. It's uh, a reset. Okay. It's a, it a real up. moment of. It goes super bright on the MRI. Yeah, all sure. The, all the brain regions are flashing. Yeah. <laughs> all that's, systems that's are really go. That's really good for you when you have brain regions flashing. It's good for you. Yeah. Um, and so maybe if you're, if you're listening to this and you're in a kind of like sexual rut with a long-term partner, um, and the pressure of having another person there is too much, do some sexual, some maintenance sex with yourself and see, get back into that process of what turns you on and, uh, what makes you feel that kind of like slippery warmth mm -hmm. and, 
um, you know, what kind of, what kind of whets your whistle, Yeah. Um, rediscover that alone and then bring that to your partner. And if you are able to find that alone and you don't feel it for your partner, I think look at what are the obstructions to your feelings of trust, mm-hmm. security, and freedom with that yes. person. If something's yes. making you feel unfree or like you don't trust them, then this is a guide to help you uh, address those issues with them. Yeah. And then when it's gone, you may feel that way again. Yeah. Or there's just biological underlying issues that that happens. Yeah. And I think the other thing too that mm. we're kind of not talking about is, you know, if there is too big of a gap to bridge and, you know, the, the person isn't a great fit. I mean, I'm not at all trying to imply that about our, our, this particular listener, but just in general, now that we've been giving this advice, like if there is a major disconnect, don't be afraid to end the relationship, honestly. And don't be afraid to have deep conversations about rocking where you might, you fear you're rocking the boat. Um, because we have this way too dominant paradigm, like Rob talks about all the time. I'm totally borrowing his words that, a successful relationship has to be long or has to be, you have to stay together until the bitter end. Like you can break up any kind of way at any kind of time in a relationship and still look back on it and go, wow, that was really successful. I experienced love. I experienced connection. I stretched what I was capable of feeling and I got to know another person and I shared myself deeply. Yeah. There's learning, there's growth, there's all kinds of great shit. And a breakup is not a failure. Right. Or, uh, discuss having sex with other people and mm-hmm. you can salvage what parts of the relationship yeah. do matter to you. Yeah. This is untraditional. And for many people, it's <laughs> scary territory, whoa, 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 whoa. but isn't yeah. it kind of weird that when your genitals feel good with another person's <laughs> that all of a sudden we attach all of these, uh, uh, emotional, social, financial, um, just, all of these other categories that don't really have anything to do or they do because we've made them, but Mm -hmm. um, why are all of these things so linked? Yeah. They don't have to be permanently. Um, So you could consider that if you are at that point where you realize um, the sexual connection is not there anymore, what connections are still there? Are there any that you would miss? Yeah. And you could talk about that. Yeah, totally. One person does not have to be your everything, your go-to yeah. for everything. Um, and I think for better, society is getting a little more comfortable with pushing the boundaries of that. I think so. Um, which I'm happy to see. Yeah. But yeah, it's still an uphill battle for us. Us polyams. Us forward <laughs> thinking <laughs> right people. Um, cool. Anything else you want to say to our question asker just thank you yeah again thank you for writing us thank you so much for writing us and i hope that we gave you some things to think about um you know show shown some light on some of that situation that i'm so sorry that you're dealing with um because i know how much it hurts um and you know we've all been in that space of feeling rejected yeah. and gross and abandoned and sad and not sexy um and it's a hard time to feel it when it's you know at the at the hand theoretically of the person that loves you the most or that you turn to for that. I want to give some advice now, just that's a little out of left field, but um, try flirting with some older ladies, (laughs) (laughs) find some older ladies who you think maybe don't get a lot of attention, um, but have a certain, 
I'm not going to tell you how to pick them out, but if you get a feeling <laughs> from somebody that they have a, a spirit that's playful, uh, you can tastefully flirt with them and then see how it feels if that's reciprocated and and what it's like to be seen and appreciated. Uh, Elaine de Botton has this bit about flirting can be the um, can impart many of the benefits of sex with without a lot of the costs of you know, risk of pregnancy, destroying existing relationships. Um, and so you might get a taste of that acceptance that you're looking for when you were rejected yeah. by your partner yeah. just by wandering down to Ralph's and uh, <laughs> complimenting <laughs> the, the older cashier on her brooch. Yeah. And the other option is fuck a baby because they want to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't fuck a baby. That's always... Um, rape. <laughs> yeah, that is always rape. Um, cool, man. How do you feel? I feel good. I think feel we nailed too. it. I'm not going to do any edits to that. <laughs> <laughs> Let him hear the whole thing. <laughs> you guys can like it or not. <laughs> Take it or leave it. This is, we're going to have references to fucking babies in every episode. This is going to be like an underground pedo podcast. <laughs> to get it out of our hands. <laughs> They're going to form meet gonna be all kinds of weird fan shit. art. Yeah. Oh, the fan weird. art. I can't wait for the baby fucking fan art. Oh, no. I'm just kidding. Please do not do that. I mean, unless you're like, I must do that. Unless you're, you were desperately waiting for an invitation to do that. And that's your like primary no, channel that you want to express yourself idea. in. It's realistic enough. We can get busted on charges if they post it on our <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're responding in a way that makes me feel like I need to say that I genuinely am not requesting baby fucking fan.